0: There will be dangers, there will be sorrow, there will be pain, disappointment. And Father, I pray today as we hear these words, Lord, that we will reflect on what even the psalmist is saying, but I will trust you, and my heart will rejoice in your goodness. Father, we know that you are a deliverer. We know that you have delivered in the past. We know that you can deliver in this moment, and we know that you will continue to deliver us. And Father, I pray today as we hear these words that we will gain a deeper understanding of the challenge that life presents itself to us as your children. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn to the book of Romans. I'm going to keep, I want to preach again in chapter 8, but we're going to go to the middle section. A number of years ago, a man was looking out, the, out his window. He was, he was deeply perplexed. He had decisions he needed to make. He was problems in his life. His window was open. And he was all of a sudden startled by movement. You know how movement can catch your eye? And he noticed this little bird was being chased by a hawk. What happened, though, is as he's sitting there watching this, the bird, literally to escape its pursuer, flew right into his chest to escape the danger of the hawk. He was so startled that the bird found safety in him that he thought that in the same way, the soul... I'll get there. Okay. The soul of a person must flee to Christ with his or her fears and their doubts. Now, that man's name was Charles Wesley, and he was a songwriter. So, obviously... You know, most songs are put to, you know, experiences. Eventually, become lyrics and music, and they put it to words. And so, he wrote this beautiful hymn, and it goes like this: Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, while the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O my Savior, hide me, till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven, guide. Oh, receive my soul at last. Anybody ever sung this hymn? Some of you, yeah? Mostly the older people because they're the ones that sang hymns. But the words are so profound and powerful. What was he basically saying? He was saying like, listen, life life has challenges. You know, John Newton wrote an amazing hymn called um, Amazing Grace. We love that hymn. And I love the second a stanza when it talks about through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And what that suggests to me is that life itself presents danger. There's hardship, there's difficulty, there's challenge, there's problems. Things sometimes that almost overwhelm us. I think one of the reasons why we struggle so much with life, especially in this culture, is that we have an expectation that life should be good. That's how we think. And I want to shatter that today and tell you that life was never designed to be easy. I would say to us that life is difficult. Life is hard. And once we understand that, it it, it helps us have the right perspective because if you think that it's supposed to be good and easy and then you have difficulty, you're going to be constantly disappointed, frustrated, irritated, you're going to be upset with people, you're going to be angry at God, you're going to question you know, whether God cares about you. When in reality, the New Testament does not present that picture whatsoever. That's a very modern concept. That's, that's a, very, it's a concept that's been born because we've had so much affluence in this time in which we're living in. This is probably one of the most beautiful times to be alive in this planet. I'm telling you the truth. In the first century, most of the people there were in slavery. How many know that was a very difficult state to be in? And you didn't have freedom. And, you know, people told you what to do. And people could abuse you verbally, physically, in every which way. It was an awful situation. And that's the predominant people group in the first century. The majority were slaves. Then Paul writes this. On top of all of that, we have this description of a spiritual dynamic that's happening in our lives. And it's found in the book of Ephesians where Paul is writing this. He says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you know that word uh, struggle? Struggle you know, is is a word that is also translated in other other versions as wrestle because literally the Greek word is actually talking about hand-to-hand combat. And have you ever felt that, that, you know, you're actually wrestling sometimes? And maybe you're experiencing that right now in your current situation that you're dealing with things and you just feel like you're wrestling with life and there's so much going on in your life and you feel like, man, I, I don't think I'm winning the conflict. I feel overwhelmed by what's happening in my life. We're all, we can all relate, I think, at some point in our life to struggle. Because we've all experienced it in varying degrees. And Paul is bringing this out. You know, he's reminding us that our struggle is not against people. Sometimes we think it is because it's the person that the enemy is using to cause so much brokenness and grief in our life. But the reality is we're fighting against principalities and powers. And so we're engaged in this battle. And how many know that if, if you're in the military, and you're on the front lines and there's bullets flying, you're not sleeping. I mean, you're as alert as can be. You have to be wide awake. I mean, your life is depending on it. And I would argue today that our spiritual lives are depending on our alertness and our watchfulness and our awareness of what is happening in our world and how the enemy is trying to destroy our souls. He's trying to destroy our lives. That's what the Bible says. He's a thief. He's a robber. He's coming to steal, kill, and to destroy. We need to understand that. Now, how do we stand up against this tremendous conflict, this great battle that's happening? Well, I think we need to look to God. We need to put our trust in Him. We need to seek His face. We need to know His will. We need to walk in His ways. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He, first of all, exists And secondly, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is telling us, listen, there is a source of refuge. There's a place where you and I can be protected. There is a place where we can overcome this conflict that's happening, the challenges in our life, and it's found in him. You know, I'd like us to consider today the value, the power, and the scope of one word. And it's hope. Do you know what's interesting? The Bible says that people who don't know Christ are people who are without God and without hope. Without hope. Hope is such a powerful dynamic in life. It's the difference between winning and losing. It's the difference between success and failure. It's the difference between giving up or going on. Hope is so absolutely powerful. And, you know, I think of one person, when I think of the word hope, I think of Job. For a couple years, I preached through this book. And you know, Job, he he had lost everything. He had lost his family. He had lost his wealth. He had lost his health. And then he makes this amazing declaration in the middle of his great problem. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out. He's in the middle of an hour of darkness and he makes this amazing declaration. He says, though he slay me, because he's assuming it's God that's bringing it on, he said, I'm still going to hope in him. Powerful confession of faith. What we don't often understand is that God is with us in our time of suffering. See, it doesn't compute in our mind because we're thinking, well, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't let person suffer. But I want to talk about something with us. You and I have a very limited view of life. Now think about this for a moment. If I was to compare time, 70, 80 years, versus eternity, how many know 70, 80 years would seem like a speck compared to all of eternity? And so if God allowed some suffering and sorrow to touch my life in time because he knows what it's going to do is transform what's going to happen in my eternity, wouldn't he be wise to let that occur so that you and I could experience a level of glory that we would never have known apart from that momentary, what we would call a momentary point of sorrow and pain. Listen to what Isaiah said when Israel was in captivity and slavery in Egypt. And they were there for hundreds of years. And it says, Surely they are my people, sons who will not be false to me. And so he became their savior. And in all of their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. What he's saying is, When you and I are walking through the darkest parts of life, God's presence is with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they're there for me. God's presence is there. Even in the presence of my enemy, you prepare a table for me. Wow, is that amazing? So God is encouraging us with these thoughts. But now as we turn to the book of Romans chapter 8, I love Romans 8. It's one of my favorite chapters. We find Paul speaking of hope to sustain us in a world that seems to be going crazy. It's a sin-filled world, and the more sin dominates this world, the crazier it's going to become. But I want to just tell you, the world has always been full of sin. As a matter of fact, I would even argue that this time is not nearly as sinful as it was in the first century, by a long shot, even though we're looking and going, can it get any worse? And I hate to tell you this, but it certainly could. A lot worse. Scary, isn't it? Yeah. So what happens Well, sin affects not only human beings, it affects the entire creation. And so we're going to look here in Romans 8 and find three truths regarding the nature, the power, and the value of hope to sustain us in life's most challenging moments. And maybe you're there today. First of all, it transforms our present struggle. Christianity is not a denial of difficulty. Now, there's some people that talk like that. Well, just pretend it doesn't exist. Don't say those words. You know, like, hey, listen, if you're sick, you're sick. You know what I mean? Let's not pretend. Let's not play a game of denial. Some people try to do that. The Bible always addresses the painful realities of life. It speaks to our suffering It speaks to our pain. It speaks to our earthly struggles. The Apostle Paul never denied reality. He recognized that suffering was a very real element in the Christian life. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go back to the last verse I ended on last Sunday. This is our first verse we're going to look at today here from our text. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Let me ask a question. Which comes first, glory or suffering? Suffering does. It goes first. And what did he just say there? I don't think we like to quote certain verses. It says, if we share in Christ's sufferings, then we will share in Christ's glory. A lot of us go, I really want to share with his glory. I don't know about this suffering stuff, Pastor. That's the part I'm trying to avoid. And I can confess, in our humanity, we want to avoid suffering. It's not something we're we're drawn to, but yet suffering finds us. Isn't that true? It just seems to scope us out. And then he goes on to say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now let's just take a moment and think about that text. What is he saying? He's saying that God allows certain things to happen, challenges, problems, difficulties in our lives so that we have to work through things, learn to stop depending on ourselves as we're going to see in a moment and then learn to lessons from those experiences and grow from them and let me give you an example how many know that if you have a caterpillar and the caterpillar is going to be about ready now to be changed into a butterfly so what happens in that state between the caterpillar and the butterfly they go in a cocoon don't they and all of a sudden there's this transformation that's beginning to happen and there's a struggle that's going on and you know sometimes we see that moment in a person's life and what do we want to do? I'm going to help him. I'm going to help that poor little caterpillar that's trying to become a butterfly. But you know what happens if we 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 we, we kind of eliminate the struggle? What'll happen is when the but- butterfly forms, he'll be unable to fly. You see, the struggle is what is developing something inside of his nature to make him other than what he was. But that's the part we don't like, Pastor. I know I don't like it either, but that's how it works to change our lives. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 5 too. He says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. How many here say, yeah, I really am thankful for the troubles I'm in right now, you know? <laughs> I, I really walk around praising God. I'm just, you know, I'm like James. I count up pure joy when I have all these problems. You know, usually when people come to me, not always. I've had people come to me and say, you know, Pastor, I'm really thankful for some of the difficult things I'm experiencing around. It's changing the way I'm thinking. But that's not my normal conversation. What I normally hear is, help, deliver me, right? Get me out of this mess. And isn't that kind of how we pray, Lord, deliver me out of these things? And I don't think that's wrong. Don't misunderstand but I, but I sometimes, you know, sometimes maybe we need to pray, God, give me the wisdom to know what you're doing in my life. And help me to know if this is something I need to be released from right away. Because maybe there's something you want me to learn through all of this experience. Otherwise, we're going to keep going over the same track of land over and over again. I want to learn. You know, it says here, not only so we rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that our suffering produces something. What's it producing? Perseverance. You know, a number of years ago, and and I'm speaking from experience. I've been a Christian for over four decades, so I can say this. I've had moments in my life where I was discouraged. I've had moments in my life where I wanted to quit, give up. I didn't want to be in the ministry anymore. It's too difficult. Being honest. And then yet I'm still functioning and doing what I'm doing. And I mean, sometimes it went on, not just for a week or two. Sometimes it went on for months. Sometimes it went on for a few years. And I'm, one day I'm finally talking to God. I'm going, what in the world's going on here? I mean, what is the problem, God? Am I the problem? And you know what God showed me? He said, no, that you're not even the problem. I'm trying to develop perseverance in you. Oh. How do you get perseverance? Suffering, difficulty, problems. Right? Said so. It produces character. How many know God's interested in doing something inside of us? That's what he's really interested in. And then eventually it leads to hope. What happens is when you've had these experiences, then you have you can look back on your past resume and go, you know, I've been here before. And I know it's gonna I know it's gonna happen. I just gotta trust God through this thing. I don't know how it's gonna work out, but God's gonna do something inside of me. And I'm going to come out the other side a different person than when I went into it. You know, isn't that true? That's the way it works. How many know that when you have kids as a parent, you're going to come out different than when you, before you had kids? Anybody know that's true? Of course that's true. That's the way it works. It's the way life works. So, it doesn't mean that we're running after problems. Paul is taking, giving us a reality check. And he's changing our perspective on the problems in life. As a matter of fact, he wants us to look past just the earthly vantage point. Jesus himself said it. You're going to have peace. I'm going to give you peace. But in the world, you're going to have trouble. You're always going to have trouble in this world. And why is that? Because you and I are not destined to stay in this world. We're not destined to be dealing with sin all the time. We are actually designed by God to be with him forever. Either in heaven or on earth. That's, we're designed by God for that. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, I think one of our greatest misconceptions, let me just say this, about Christianity today is that Jesus is here to keep me from suffering. That's a great misunderstanding. And how many know that some of you say, I really love God, but He hasn't kept me from suffering? Well, that's true. That's because that's a misunderstanding. And it's not, you know, I just don't have enough faith to get rid of these problems. I go, no, that's not it either. We live in a world filled with sin. We live in a world that sin is impacting this culture, and it impacts our lives. You know, we're daily confronted with pain, misunderstanding, conflict, sickness, death, and other kinds of issues that we would rather avoid. Isn't that true? I just, Anybody want to miss some of these things? Of course we don't want these things in our lives. But they're very much a part of the human dilemma called life. We're not going to avoid all this stuff. It's going to come our way. Paul, as a matter of fact, in writing to the Thessalonians, you know what he said? Don't be disturbed by the difficulties or the trials. He says here, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. He's writing to them. So you wouldn't be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. And I put in a little parenthesis, destined for trials. How many here go, yeah, I'm destined for trials? You know, we don't even think this way, but the reality is we will have trouble. And I think when we get a realistic view of life, it helps us address life a lot better. See, if I think that life is supposed to be easy all the time, and a problem comes my way, it just blows me up. But if I think, well, this is normal. This, you know, what I I I don't I don't I used to be when I was a young pastor. I used to think, well, we can just solve problems, and we'll get to that place where there's no more problems. That's pure idealism. That does not exist. I anticipate every day to encounter some problem or other. You go, Pastor, you're just becoming pessimistic. I'm going, no. I'm not even cynical. I'm just realistic. I just know there's problems. As long as there are people and there's sin in the world, we're going to have trouble in this world. We're going to have problems. That's a realistic view of life. He goes, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And as it turned out, it turned out that way, as you well know. That's what happened. We got persecuted. And then Peter writes in his letter, by the way, if you just think Paul's got this this kind of theology, James has it too, count it all joy when you have these problems. Then you read Peter, oh, I remember as a brand new Christian, I read first Peter, it blew me away, listen to what he says, therefore since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. And then he says this, And as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So what is he saying here? What does this mean? Well, I think what he means is that suffering, as one the NIV study notes, as one uh, writer says, suffering enables one to straighten out his priorities. How many have ever had a deep trial in your life, and yet at the end of it you go, Wow, this has really straightened me out. Do you know, think about it. Here you have a life-threatening disease and you were focused on all kinds of things and all of a sudden you thought your life was coming to you and then all of a sudden you go, I had the wrong priorities. I now know what I should be doing. It's amazing what suffering does. It can totally straighten you out in a hurry. Sinful desires and practices that once seemed important now seem insignificant when one's life is in jeopardy. I'll tell you, you go through a deep trial, it'll change your thinking. It'll change your priorities. Transform you. That's what it's designed to do. God is going to use those things to change your life. As a matter of fact, great pressure, struggles, and challenges are the very tools God uses to change us. And I already read this earlier in the service. You know, Paul said this we were under great pressure, far above our ability to endure. You know, I used to think, well, you know, God will never let me have anything come away that I can't handle. Not quite true. This verse kind of goes against that idea. This verse, I think it's temptation he's talking about in that verse. This verse is saying something else. This is under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despair even of life. How many think, wow, that's pretty intense? Paul's a pretty strong personality, and yet he's going, I didn't even want to live. That's pretty intense. How many say that's pretty intense? That's intense. He goes, I didn't even know if I wanted to go on living. It was so bad. I was just, dis- I was so discouraged. Some of you have been there. Some of you have despaired. Some of you even thought, I don't even want to live anymore. I have no desire to go on in life. This trial has just driven me to that emotional state. But then he says this. Indeed, in our heart, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened. There's a reason why God's allowed this to happen. That we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. God has to break our reliance upon ourselves. Self-reliance is the greatest problem we have going. And you know, prayer is the opposite of self-reliance. Prayer is acknowledging your reliance on God. Prayer is saying, I can't do it. As a matter of fact, our whole culture in North America is designed against the Bible. It's designed to create self-reliance, an ability to live isolated, alone lives, and self-entertain. That's what our culture is doing, and yet people aren't functioning well underneath it. You know, problems are cropping up, you know. Really, when you think about it, when you're in community, when you're in relationship to people, we need to learn how to support each other, love each other, pray for one another, care for one another, not judging one another. Hey, listen, we're all going to have trials, folks. We're all going to hit a place in our life where we're going to be in a state of despair, and that's when we need one another. And then he goes on to say, he's delivered us, has, past tense, such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us, present tense, he can do it right now in this moment, and on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, Future tense. In other words, we can have the confidence that no matter what happens in our life, God is able to take care of us right to the end. I like that. Boy, that takes a lot of pressure. How many here you worry a little bit about the future? Anybody worry a little bit about the future? Now that you are being honest. Can I just tell you right now, God's going to take care of you. God's going to deliver you. How do you know that, Pastor? He says so. And God, there's one thing he cannot do. He cannot lie. He'll do it. So then some of you say, well, what's the advantage of being a Christian, right? You know, if I'm not immune from trouble and difficulty and suffering, I mean, what difference does Christ make in my life, in my pain, my suffering, my difficulties? Well, Jesus comes to us in the trouble to sustain us and to reveal his grace to us and to strengthen us and to comfort us. And ultimately, here's the number one reason to conform us into his image. See, God is trying to make you and I move from, you know, caterpillar to butterfly. So what does he do? He allows us to go into struggle. And that's part of what's working on the inside of our lives, where we have to trust God. Now, and ultimately, he comes to deliver us in ways that we had not expected. Now, let me just say something. You're going to get a little bit of my theology here about healing, okay? I don't always talk about this, but For those that are sick, let me just say this God is a healer. God can heal. Actually, I will say God always heals, but He may not always heal in this life. That's a problem for some of us. See, when I pray for people to get healed, I don't feel it's my job to heal them. That's Jesus's job. I just pray. Do I believe when I'm praying that they're going to get healed? Absolutely. It just may not always happen when I wanted to or when they wanted to. Some people are healed in this life. Many times we're healed in this life. How many here you can honestly say you've been healed by God? I can honestly say God's healed me. As a matter of fact, anybody's ever had a cold, anybody's ever had the flu, you've been healed if you're still sitting here. Yeah, God's healed you. You know, you just need to be more thankful for it. Everything that you're experiencing, God's doing. Okay, but some people go, Pastor, I'm not healed. I've had this all my life, this problem. I've never been healed. I've prayed, I've asked God. Hey, listen, can I just say something? you will be healed. It just may not be in this life. Okay? So don't despair. Because let me let me go back to my original thought. When I compare time versus eternity, a little bit of problem in time, no more problem in eternity. As a matter of fact, I hate to tell you this, but your body's breaking down. We're going to find that out. Listen to what it says here. Nothing's advancing here. Let me just reset recalibrate okay hmm. Oh just advanced good. Look at second Corinthians 4:16. Therefore do not lose heart. How many have ever said I've lost heart? That means don't get discouraged. anybody ever how many here have ever lost heart? see I got my hand up. Oh a few other honest folks okay. He says, friends, I put down, it's so easy to lose heart in the midst of a problem, isn't it? <sighs> you know, is this ever going to end? I mean, why did God let this happen? We got all these questions for God, right? You know, Job had a few questions for God. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Oh, isn't that bad news? What What, what is he saying there? He's saying outwardly, he says, your outer man, your body has a shelf life. You can take care of it, you can pamper it, you can feed it right, you can do all that kind of stuff, but eventually you'll get to the golden years, and I haven't figured out that terminology yet because it doesn't look that golden to me, because when I'm visiting the older people and their bodies are breaking down, I'm saying to myself, it takes a lot of courage to get old, <laughs> okay, now outwardly we're wasting away, now how many go, that's not, you know, some of you young people going, well that's not a lot to look forward to, I agree. That's not a lot to look forward to. But the next part of the verse is, it says, yet inwardly, inwardly, we are what? Being renewed every day. So while the outer person looks like it's decaying, the inner person is getting stronger. As a matter of fact, what's happening is we're experiencing this cocooning experience. We're coming from the caterpillar state and now we're beginning to die to that state, but God has a new state for us. And you know, as we come to the end, you know, some of us are trying to hang on to the old state. After a while, we just go, who wants to hang on to this whole thing? I'm letting go because I'm my inner being. I'm getting closer. I sense the power and the glory and the goodness of God. And Lord, I just want to go and be with you. Isn't that an amazing thought? God, we have something to look forward to. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to get brand new bodies. Here's the good news. No more diets. <laughs> Woo! Right? Right? Yeah, I don't even know if we'll have to exercise. Who knows what it's going to be like? I have no idea. We're just going to get a brand new body. And you know what the good news is? It'll never wear out. You won't have to wait in line from the doctor to get a new hip or a new knee. It'll be perfect and will always work. Yeah. When you're young, you don't understand that. But the older folks in the church, that's good news. All right? Okay. You know, one of the subtle messages that comes out of the church so often is that, you know, God is here to relieve all our pain now. But I remember reading a book a number of years ago by Dr. Lawrence Crabb, Jr. He's a Christian psychologist. And, you know, he said, in this life, as you mature, you're going to notice that you're not totally content, even as a Christian. And this is what he said. And, you know, as I was reading this book, I started... Internally, I started weeping because my spirit identified with these words. I want to just read a little bit. It says there, the effect of such teaching is to blunt the painful reality of what it's like to live as part of an imperfect and sometimes evil community. We're in that world, right? There's sin. We learn to pretend that we we feel now what we cannot feel until heaven. In other words, sometimes we play play hyper-Christian where I'm going, I got it all together. Nobody's got it all together. They're They're just faking you out. That's what, that's what he's telling you, and I agree with him. He says, Beneath the surface of everyone's life, especially the more mature, it's an ache that will not go away. It cannot be ignored. Oh, sorry, it can be ignored, disguised, mislabeled, or submerged by a torrent of activity, but it will not disappear. And for good reason. We were designed to enjoy a better world than this. And until that better world comes along, we will groan for what we do not have. An aching soul is evidence not of neurosis or spiritual immaturity, but of realism. The promise of one day being with Jesus in a perfect world is the Christian's ultimate hope for complete relief. Until then, we either groan or we pretend we don't. Or, as he spoke, only hope. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Not only are we groaning, the creation is groaning. They're groaning with us. In verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. In other words, the whole creation world is waiting for Christ to come back and transform the whole planet. Do you know we're going to get a new earth? How many know that? I'll talk about that when I get into Revelation again. Look at Romans 8.20. It says, For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Wow. So God's judgment didn't just fall on humanity but rather sin that came into the world through humanity has affected even the weather, tornadoes, catastrophes. Sin is doing all this. Earthquakes, all that stuff. If you don't like the weather, eventually we'll have a new earth. I think the weather's going to be better. I really believe that. (laughs) Always summer, somebody said. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. That's how he describes the aching in our world. But let me move on to the second point, future deliverance. There's a call to look beyond our present changing condition. There's a relief that is beyond our greatest expectation. What God has planned for us is beyond anything we can imagine. He says here, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit What's he talking about? See, we've come to Christ. The Spirit of God lives in us. That's just that down payment. Now, how many here, you know, it's really nice to get the down payment if you own something. You know, you, you sell it, you get the down payment. How many know You're not. that's not going to make you totally satisfied? You're waiting for the full payment, right? How many know the down payment is usually just a little percentage of the full payment? Can I tell you a good news? Today, as Christians, you and I only have the down payment of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what God has in store for us when the full measure comes? Wow, beyond our comprehension. You know, so here we are, you know, waiting for God to do this amazing work. And then it says, for in this hope we were saved. We're not saved by hope, we're saved by faith, but hope is something that, is something we're looking forward to. He says, so, for in this hope we were saved, uh, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. In other words, if you have hope, you know, it's something you're still waiting for. That's what he's telling you. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently, or some of us, more impatiently. But we do have a future hope based on the promises of God. I want to just move on to my third point. It provides help in our present condition. Because, you know, I can talk about, you know, this is what God's going to do in our future. Well, you're going, yeah, that's nice, Pastor, but I'm in the now. I'm struggling with things now. But listen to how he closes this section of the book of Romans. God's not only interested in the final outcome, he's interested in your present moment. How many are happy about that? I'm thankful for that. Because I'm not living in the future. I'm living in the moment, right here, right now in the present, right? And he says it this way. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So how does the Spirit help me in my weakness? We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So what happens is God lives in us by his Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and he begins to intercede to the Father. So, you know, we all are taught, and we all know this, that Jesus is ever-living to make intercession for us. How many know Jesus is praying for you today? Jesus is praying for you today. But maybe you haven't considered this. The Holy Spirit is praying for you today. Did you think of that? The Holy Spirit is praying to the Father. And let me ask, where is the Holy Spirit? He's inside of us. So now when he's praying for Dennis, the Holy Spirit inside of you, Dennis, knows more about you than you do. Do you know that? How many have ever had an experience where all of a sudden you go, I didn't know this about me? You know, something happened, you go, Man, I've just discovered something about myself. We can have moments of self discovery. God already knew that. You go, I can't believe I said that. God already knew that was coming. I can't believe I behave like that. God already knew that was coming. He still loves us, but he knows about that stuff. You see, the Holy Spirit knows you and I inside and out. So when he prays for us, guess what? He's got an inside track. He's even a better prayer for you and me than we are for ourselves. Isn't that amazing? But here's the problem. I'm praying one way and the Holy Spirit's going, don't listen to him. That's what he thinks he needs. This is what he really needs. Oh. You think that happens? Yeah. I have a funny idea. The Holy Spirit sometimes is is uh, vetoing our our prayer, going, no, no, that's not a good idea for him. I already know that's not going to do him good. No, we're not going to we're not going to answer that prayer, Father. Okay. So, what does it mean when the Spirit prays? F.F. F. F. Ruth is a New Testament scholar. He's it says here, when belie- oh, let me go to verse 27. He who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Well, he's going he's to get an answer. F.F. Bruce says, when believers pray in the Spirit, the Spirit intercedes on their behalf. Speaking to God in the Spirit with tongues may be included in this expression. Okay, so that's part of it. That's good. That's why praying in tongues is good, by the way but it covers those longings and aspirations which well up from the depths of the spirit and cannot be imprisoned within the confines of everyday words so what he's saying is with with words and groans that cannot be uttered are expressed how many of you ever, you know, you had an experience and you went sigh. you just sighed anybody ever have, anybody ever sigh okay that's a prayer did you know that your sighs are prayers you didn't know that. That's a prayer. That's a little prayer like, God, I really need your help. <laughs> this is beyond me. You didn't know sighs were actually a prayer. I believe they're a prayer. You know? I've had an experience once. I'll share this to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. I remember when I came back almost 20 years ago to the church and I had gone through such difficulty, and I was praying for the church, and all of a sudden I began weeping and I was, in my innermost being, I was groaning. That's a level I don't normally pray at. That's, that was the only time. That's a very deep level of prayer. Groaning. That, probably, that prayer was probably more powerful than most of my prayers. Because at that level, that's the spirit inside of me praying. Okay? How many say that's pretty deep stuff? That's the spirit of God within our soul crying out on our behalf. Do you know what God does? Well, let me move on here. I like this. You know, We can be assured that nothing happens in our lives without God using that for our ultimate good. Now that's an amazing thought. Let me just quote Romans 8.28. This is one of my favorite verses, by the way. Because it helps center us, ground us, helps us stand, and helps us be able to weather the storms. It says, And we know that in all things... God works. God is always working. And no matter what things are in my life, God is working. And he's working for the good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now think about what he's saying here. If you and I have come to Christ, we've asked him to come into our lives, God is working for your good. But your good may not be what you think your good is. See, your good is making you more like him your good is fulfilling his will. Your good is preparing you for eternity. That's your ultimate good. And so he's using all kinds of things. Now let's go to the Old Testament for a moment. Joseph, his brothers were envious of him and they sold him into slavery. That didn't seem good. And then when he gets down there, he gets bought and and he gets falsely accused attempted seduction and he doesn't capitulate and he's accused of it so he's innocent and now he's falsely accused and he's imprisoned that was did not seem good right but while he's there he meets two officials of the king of Egypt who were there being investigated And so they have dreams, and Joseph tells them the dreams. And he says, don't forget me. I was unfairly sold here and eventually falsely accused. And now remember me before the king when one of you is going to be promoted, which one was. And you know what the Bible says? Very powerful words. But the butler forgot Joseph. Wow. You say, that didn't seem good. And then Pharaoh had a dream. And then the butler says, oh, I remember something. There was a person who interpreted perfectly my dream. And the king said, bring him to me. And Joseph was given wisdom by God and was able to interpret the dream of the king. And what happened? He's elevated to become the prime minister. That's good. And what happens from there is his brothers and family who are now starving in famine are now provided for by Joseph and the nation of Egypt. That's good. And when his brothers come to him and they say, please don't hold what we did against us, Joseph said, you meant it for harm, but God used it for good. You know what? It wasn't just saving the nation. Joseph became a different person through the journey. Isn't that true? He learned perseverance. His character was shaped, and he knew what hope was. You know, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings guy, how many know? He was a Christian. You know what he said? This is interesting. No man can estimate what is really happening at the present. See, we're evaluating. We make all these judgments every day. That's good, that's bad, that's good, that's bad. Right? we are all got all kinds of judgments. This is what he says. No man or woman can estimate what is really happening at the present. All we do know, and that to a large extent by direct experience, is that evil labors with vast power and perpetual success in vain preparing always only the soil for the unexpected good to sprout up in I love that what he's saying is the bad things that are happening to you right now are the soil that God is prepared to bring something good out of that's what he's saying how many go I like that? You know, I, you know it, it helps me in my difficult moment to know that God is going to use this for good. And I say to myself, I have no idea how that's going to happen. This looks so bad. How can you do anything good with this? God goes, I'll use it. I know how to use it. I'll turn it around and use it for good. That's an amazing thought. God can take our deepest disappointments, our greatest heartaches, the amazing tragedies in our lives, and use them for good. David Smallbone felt God leading him to promote Christian ministry in Australia. He was a musician. And so he brought concerts to the continent of Australia, which only 5% are Christians or even attend church. He had this huge concert, and it literally bankrupt him because his expectation did not materialize, and he lost a quarter of a million dollars He was forced, you know, he lost his home and everything and he was down to his furniture and he got a phone call from an artist in Nashville, said, David, why don't you come and work for me? So he sold his furniture, bought tickets for he and his wife and his six kids, and they got to Nashville and the job fell through. He was so despondent, he couldn't even get out of bed. He was in despair. You can appreciate that, right? So he and his wife and his children began to cry out to God and began to pray. Lord, help us. And then the biggest surprise of all happened. His oldest daughter, Rebecca, was 15. She, somebody heard her sing. They made a record with her. And she used her old family name. Her last name is Rebecca St. James. Some of you know who she is. She's a recording, Christian recording artist. And because of that, she was able to lift her family out of deep poverty. God moved that family from Australia to the United States in order for the young daughter to have a music career. It's amazing. Charles Swindoll says, God never wastes suffering. He never does it. And I'll close with the last little story here. Todd Stewart was a missionary. He went to Iran. Tehran, Iran, the capital. In 1970, in the mid 70s. So he's pastoring this little Presbyterian church, struggling like crazy. And then the worst possible thing came along. Ayatollah Khomeini, remember that? Revolution in Iran. They shut the church down, burnt the Bibles, you know, padlocked the church, wiped their hands, and said, that's the end of these guys. But, you know, Dr. Tad Stewart and his wife said, well, we'll just have to pray in our home. And pretty soon people started showing up when it was dark, slipping in before it got light. And pretty soon, you know what? A few people brought Bibles. They were treating them like gold because, you know, that was contraband now. And next thing you know, the church is doubling, the church is tripling, quadrupling. I mean, this thing is growing like wildfire. And he said when he opened the Bible to read it, he said, you could have heard a pin drop. Suddenly, it was like electricity and faith broke out in that church, and that church began to impact the entire city of Tehran. Isn't that amazing? You see, what looked like a terrible thing became the catalyst in which God moved supernaturally in that congregation. Maybe you're here today struggling with pain, disappointment, difficulty, you're beside yourself, you feel at the end of your rope, and God brought you here today for a reason, because He wants to give you hope. He wants you to know that He's going to take what He's doing in your life and transform it. And we're going to stand this morning as we close the service. And I gave a few minutes because I want us to pray, and I did this in the first service. I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. I know God's speaking to hearts today. I know some of you are struggling and you're going through a difficult time. That doesn't mean you're not mature. It doesn't, I mean, we all go through those moments. You know, sometimes when you're really pressing into God, you can have the most terrible things begin to happen. You go, what's what's going on here? I'm doing everything right. And everything, the end result is everything's going wrong. And you're going, God, why? I'm doing everything that you want me to do. Why is this all this stuff happening? And you're questioning. You know? And I relate to that because I've gone through moments into my life where I said, God, I've done everything you've asked me to do. Why? And the Spirit of God one day said, you know why I'm doing this? Because I'm teaching you perseverance. I'm teaching you and I'm developing character inside of you. And I'm going to give you when you come out of those experiences, you are not the same person. Some of you, you've gone through these things. You go, wow, I'm a different person because of that experience. It's been defining, it's shaped me, it's matured me, it's developed me. I have a greater confidence in God. And when I see the next problem along, I go, okay, I've been here before. I know God's good. It doesn't even rattle you anymore. You just know God is going to take care of it.' But you're here today. You're, you're going through this time. I want you to just slip out of your seat right now. Just come forward. We're going to pray with you. Because one of the things I think is important is that as a community, we, we need to pray for one another. Come on, quickly. People are going to pray with you. Come. I know people are hurting. You. In the first service, a lot of the church came forward because they were going through all kinds of difficult moments in their life. And you know, God cares about you this morning. That's what you need to hear. God cares about you today. And he wants to do a work of grace in your life. He wants to do something powerful inside of you. He is not punishing you, folks. This is not a punishment. This is a work of grace that God is doing in your life. And I'm going to ask, you know, if there's pastors here, elders, deacons, altar workers, or a friend. You see a friend up there. Would you just come up right now? And I want you to just lay your hand on them. I want them to know that somebody cares. Just come on up. Just lay hands on this person. We're going to pray for them right now. Because you know what? It may be you in a month from now or a year from now. I can't. You know, it's the way life works. In the world, you're going to have trials. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have difficulty. We're not immune from these things. That's what we need to hear today. And I want you to know that God cares about your personal development. You know what? Listen to what Paul said. It was through your prayers that God helped me. You see, that's why we have community. That's why we're in relationship with people, so we can pray for each other. So let's pray today. Father, Father, we thank you that you are a caring God. We thank you today that you allow things in our lives that are difficult, they're trying, they're heart-rending. We have no understanding of what's happening We feel that you've maybe betrayed us. We feel that you've abandoned us. We've cried out to you and you seem deaf to our cry. But now today you're telling us that you're working a grace in our soul. You're changing us. You're conforming us. You're making us more like you through this journey, this experience. And now I pray today that you will encourage every heart that we will leave this place filled with hope Fill with a a quiet confidence in your goodness, oh God, that you are with us and that you are going to help us through this moment and this season in our life. We thank you. We thank you today. We're rejoicing right now in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our sorrow, our disappointment, our brokenness, our hurt. Lord, we thank you today that you're hearing our cry. And I pray that you would bring comfort, You would bring encouragement. You would bring strength. You would bring grace and hope and love and joy into every heart. That we would leave here today knowing that you have hearing our sighs, seeing our tears, understanding our anger and our frustration and our discouragement. And Lord, today you're going to lift some of this heaviness off of our hearts. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you as you leave today.